Oh, nuts. We've totally botched that train robbery. I guess it obviously only leaves us with one plan now. Paul asked to Bolivia, and also delve into a 1960s movie classic on today's edition of that song from that movie. Hello there. You've reached that song from that movie. The journey through the very best and the worst of movie-related songs. I'm your host, whose feet is too big for his bed, Dietrich. And with me, unlike everybody else, he's probably going to stop the rain by complaining. It's Alex. <laughs> I don't know why, but yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's an ability. It's an ability to stop the rain by complaining. I do like to complain. And it's going to stop that rain. And it's going to stop that rain. And also with us, um, his eyes will soon be turning red. But don't worry, this is a podcast, so you can't see that. <laughs> nice. It's Ben. I have been crying. That's a joke, by the way. I have not. <laughs> Please send your sympathies, too. That is the first time I've realised that eyes are turning red means he's been crying. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's not like he's been he's getting absolutely blazed. Yeah, well, I was thinking it could be getting high. I mean, it's well, the 60s. Okay. In my head, it was like something from like X-Men, and he's, he, was, he was angry and his eyes turned red. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, yeah, Cyclops. I don't think that, I don't think that happens <laughs> Yeah, it's like film. Cyclops. <laughs> I was thinking more like Summer of Love getting blood, yeah, token on a, on a, on a, on a nice yeah, one. Yeah, 420. Yeah, I guess it could be that 420 well. blaze and all that. So if you haven't guessed already, uh, today's episode is Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, as seen in the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeehaw. So what happened when that movie came out, Alex? Good question. I know. Uh, the film came out in, and song, actually, in September 1969. So to keep it... Well, I'm going to give a broader context of the history of this uh, month, because there was two like quite large political stories, one, of course, being the Vietnam War, but I don't think we're going to go too far into that. Although, um, please do, mi- <laughs> please do. It might provide some, <laughs> I don't know, some context for when the film was released um, and what was going on in America at the time. But it was an important month in terms of the Vietnam War because it was the month that Ho Chi Minh, the leader of the, the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese uh, uh, Prime Minister, died. Oh, really? So, uh, make of that what you will. R.I.P. Um, but also uh, in the he month had a of large September, influence on this film. Yeah, yes, a very large. Well, you know, you know, maybe it does, maybe it does. But if you can read into it, so also happened in this month was two more people were killed by the Zodiac Killer. Oh, really? Is that still going on at this time? It was, yeah. Oh, I think wow, there was a yeah. film was now. Was was there a film called Zodiac? Yeah, two thousand and four or something. It's got uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and yeah, uh, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. David Fincher film. Isn't the film like it's really boring? The film, isn't it? But it's, uh, it's not that. I, don't, I think it is boring. a good film. It's just it's long. It's very long. And yeah. Spoilers, they don't catch him. <laughs> they don't? Well, there you go. There's some uh, There's some sort of, like, you know, political history. But let's go into the more lighthearted stuff. I, I, I mean, I was surprised that Jake Gyllenhaal was around in the late 60s. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. he's just he's just that good. He's wearing a lot of, like, face cream. And it's his fault we didn't catch him. So I'm going to, you know, it's the 60s, the late 60s, which is kind of pinnacle time for the Beals. There's some big Beals news in September ah. 1969. I'm worried. First of all, John Lennon declined, or he gave back his OBE because of the Britain, because of England's involvement in the Vietnam War to link oh, really? back to the beginning. Yeah, traitor. Um, I think it was also to do. They were. They were um, <laughs> it was something to do with another country as well, possibly in India. I can't quite remember. He wasn't happy about it, so he gave back his OBE. Um, it was also the month that Abbey Road was released. Oh really? Yeah. The real reason why he gave back his OBE. <laughs> the real, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, to, to create some sort of like uh, buzz in the media. Exactly. Yeah, but it was also the beginning of the end of the Beatles. So when they recorded Abbey Road, um, famously, that was sort of where they did most of it individually. And it was the second okay. to last album, the last album being 
Let It Be, which came out the following year. So I think it was more or less that month when they sort of decided to split up. It's a big news. Wow. Big news yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. There were some famous uh, movie-related births in 1969, September. Hit us with it. <laughs> Hit us with it. So Catherine Zeta-Jones. I've heard of her. Legend. Yeah. Rob Brydon, the schoolmate. Also, very relevant for this year, Boon Joon-ho. Oh, oh yeah. yeah that, Director yeah, of Parasite. Very topical. Also born in that year. Along very, with, uh, to keep it relevant to Leeds, as we're a Leeds-based podcast, Gary Speed was also born in September 1969. Legend. Legend. Film legend. And also, musical-based, Sean the Clown Crayon, is it? From Slipknot? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, who's Sean the Clown? Sean Clown. Yeah, Don't know. you know Sean the Clown? <laughs> That's his name. He was also born in that month. So those people all share the same month of birth. Um, and finally, there were two big TV launches in September of 1969. Go on. The Brady Bunch. I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah, more bigger for the American audiences. Bigger for the American audience, but still quite, quite you know, important culturally. And Scooby-Doo, where are you? Is that it really started in 69? Really? 1969 was <laughs> the first season of Scooby-Doo. In my head, Scooby-Doo started a lot earlier than that. Yeah, well, but I, I thought it was must have been like... I thought I was thought it was 60s, but I thought it might be early 60s. Well, is that the Hanna-Barbera? Was, was it one of their first? Or was Flintstones and that sort of going long I think before? Top Cat, Top Cat was probably before, maybe. Okay. Um, Flintstones. But it was, it was certainly one of the first. And um, they brought it in on a Saturday because uh, people were complaining too much about cartoon violence and they thought that this was a nice cartoon for children <laughs> about, you know, murderers or, well, maybe not murderers. And now all adults will ghosts. betray you. <laughs> cartoon for murderers. The power of friendship. So there you go, there's, there's the news. Oh, no, actually, there was one more thing as well. Oh, um, oh Clumber, gone. The first African-American superhero, Falcon, appeared for the first time. As in, like, in the Captain comic? America. Yeah, in the comic. Oh, right, that's there cool. You. Well, that's that's what the that's what the internet tells me. Don't don't quote me on that, but that's what it said. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that, that was uh, that was uh, quite a heavy one compared to usual. Yeah, you know, nineteen sixty nine. It's a heavy time. It's good big. It's a very very important time. Unlike to twenty twenty, which is nice and peaceful. Yeah, obviously. Oh yeah, nothing yeah, to nothing, worry about. Nothing going on. Nothing of importance. So, shall we do a little bit of synopsis of the film? Yeah, please. Go ahead. Talk about the song. So the film um, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid came out in September nineteen sixty nine. I'll discuss. Um, it was based loosely on the life of Wild West Outlaws Robert Leroy Parker, who's Butch Cassidy, and Harry Longabo, which I think is how it's pronounced, who's the Sundance Kid. The film follows them as they're on the run from the law following a string of train robberies. So the names Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, are they linked to the real life people? Yes, those were their real nicknames. Right, I think okay. it's a so Sundance Kid, I think it said... I suppose uh, I should just say that I've not seen this film. Yeah, well, we're going to go into that, but... Yeah, so Sundance Kid, um, I think the name came from, he was arrested in the town of Sundance, I think, which is in Wyoming, Okay. from memory. Butch Cassidy, I can't remember exactly what that, I think it was something to do with him being a butcher before he, as in like an actual butcher of me, oh, right, okay. not like a butcher of people. Yeah, it sounds like a serial killer nickname, doesn't it? <laughs> the Butcher. Yeah, so that's where I think the names came from. And yeah, the film follows them as they, they're on the run from like a, a posse of like, it's, it's like a posse that's put together to who are like the ultimate... Bad guy catchers, if I remember rightly, Ben. You could probably the Dark Avengers. Clarify that. <laughs> yeah, but they. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think I think one of the people in the group is like a Native American tracker, and he's like the one that they're always yes. like. Yeah. Oh, there you go. He's he's, he's definitely going to catch us. But yeah, so that's that's the premise of the film. The uh, so yeah, D not seen the film. Ben saw the film recently. I I rewatched half of it last night, but I, I I think I saw the full thing like two or three years ago, as well as seeing it probably. I've seen it maybe three or four times now. 
was watching only half of it last night and indicative. No, it was because I started it about 10.30. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that was the main reason. What's your general opinions about the film, Ben? Do you like it? Yeah, I think it's a really good film. Um, I knew my granddad was a big fan and I think that got me into it. And I think it's the it's the Paul Newman Robert, Robert Redford, Redford combination. Like I think it was just like the Americans fell in love with it. I know it wasn't as popular when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that's what someone told me anyway. But yeah, compa- and like they were in the sting, I think a few days later. Yeah. Which is the one best picture. Yeah. Classic. And I think, yeah, just those two together are just absolutely fantastic. There's not, I don't think this, you know, the, the plot's not exactly, you know, I wouldn't say it's gripping. And there's a lot of detail. It's just, like you say, it's two guys on the run just trying to figure out, do we keep going with this life or do we try and make it clean? Yeah. Before we talk about the song and its and its sort of connection to the film, what do you think about the fact that it's a Western film? It has all the iconography of the genre, but it, it doesn't really have the same feel. Like, I know in the same year True Grit came out, which is obviously a John Wayne film and one of his most famous. Yes. And it's like a more of a classic Western. Like, yeah. you have that sort of... Yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, what do you think about the choice to make this? It's kind of a genre film, but it's not at the same time. I think a lot of the, a lot of actors back then were genre actors. So, like, John Wayne is the Western man, you know? So, I think he's were of, t- of a certain type, like, all of his films. And I think, I don't think, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of Robert Redford and uh, Paul Newman Westerns, like, jumping to my mind. No, it's so, not what they're known for, no. is it? Definitely. No, and I think in that late sort of 60s, the Western was, like, I know True Grit is, you know, you said it's the same year, but I think the Western had started to seep out a bit and sort of to become a lot a lot less ingrained in that classic tropes of the Western. Like, I think the Wild Bunch was probably a similar time, and I think yeah. a lot more violence was coming out in it, so there's a lot of shootouts in this film. I think it was a bit more on the action heavy side and rather than the sort of the slow meandering two guys stood opposite each other for 10 minutes trying to outstare each other that sort yeah. of thing i think this sort of time seems to be doesn't it the end of yeah. the western era up until maybe the 90s when you get things like callbacks like unforgiven and stuff like yes that. and later on i think just remakes like 310 to humor true grit was remade you know yeah. things like this of the typical american westerns not the spaghetti westerns I think the 60s just represents a different time. I don't know when Magnificent Seven came out as well. Maybe that was in the 60s. But yeah. I, again, I think they're just a very action-heavy westerns rather than the just slow, meandering films of the time. Cool. Like you compare it to The Searchers from like the 30s, it's you know very slow. It's a lot more just sort of living out in the, the Wild West, the adventure, the, like you said, the sweeping landscapes. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid isn't really about that. Yeah. I mean, again, I haven't seen the film, but I watched some clips on YouTube and it reminded me very much of Bonnie and Clyde. I, I, I yeah, don't know how much yeah. of that is to do with it's actually, being people on the run. It's interesting you mention that because the ending is kind of based off Bonnie and Clyde, not to go too far into what happens. But if you know the end of Bonnie and Clyde, it's kind of a similar ending. and I think it was intended to be sort of like a replica of that scene. Okay. So yes. Which one came first? Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde came first. I think oh, so, yeah. Okay. I think Bonnie and Clyde was yeah, like maybe so. two years before. Yes, yeah, 67 does sound oh. right. So just before, so it's kind of, but obviously the production of this film probably was just after, so they'd probably just seen Bonnie and Clyde yeah. and like, ooh. That'll work. I think there's, all, the, there's also the, the escapism element of like the the film with like them going to South America and just trying to get away. Like there's, I think there's a lot of films of that type where it's like the Wild West life, it's catching up on people. It's not like you can just kind of live this life and die it out. It's like people are getting better at catching these kind of, you know, lone outlaws and gunmen and the only way to sort of 
live and continue is to try and escape and go to somewhere different because i think do they try and go to bolivia i think it is yeah it's bolivia <laughs> so yeah i think it's that thing of like it, it's got it's almost an adventure film because they're just going you know they're going out in my notes, I wrote down the plot as Escape to Bolivia. <laughs> Escape to Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been a good name. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it does kind of... I mean, they still get forward into Bolivia. I think the fact that it's set in the 60s is obviously... Well, not set in the 60s, sorry. It was made in the 60s really lends itself to the direction of the film. I think it's a lot yeah. more rebellious, a lot more radical. It's yeah. it's kind of... Bit, it's, it's, it's very subversive as well, which I think is something we'll get in with the song and the scene in particular where the song features. But it's just... It's about these two guys that are sort of fighting against the grain or against like what's yes. expected yes. of people and they're the heroes as well which maybe you didn't always get before then so the, the law break i mean you got it in the 30s but then obviously when things like the Hayes code came in it was more like you had to be on the side of the police yes. oh yeah definitely so i think yeah it's sort of like it's with bonnie i think bonnie and clyde was definitely the beginning maybe the beginning of the going back the other way yeah but especially uh, how it ends yeah especially well yeah yeah, we'll move on. We'll move on to the song though, because uh, I don't want to talk too much about the film because it'll ruin it for later. So the song was written by. Does, do you guys know who it's written by? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Burt Bacharach. <laughs> exactly, Mr. Oh, Burt right, Bacharach. yeah, of course it's Burt Bacharach. And, I was thinking it was the guy who sang it. And Hal David. So they were v- very legendary writing duo. Three of the songs that they wrote together before this one got nominated for best original song of the Oscars. Wow. I'm going to tell you the name of the song, see if you can guess the films. Okay, go on. So yes. there's the look of love. Which is by Dusty Springfield. Oh, no. Uh, Archie, or it's called, with Michael Caine. <laughs> well, Alfie. We'll, we'll... Alfie, yeah. Well, so Alfie was actually one of the other ones. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah, so <laughs> Burt Which is why in the deleted scenes of Austin Powers 3, they do a version of Alfie. Austin. <laughs> but he didn't make the film, but obviously that was a callback to the first two where Burt Bacharach does appear, as you just referenced. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so Alfie was one of them. Look of Love was from the original Casino Royale. Oh, hey. God. Yeah, uh, which is obviously the spoof of the Bond film. And then the third one was What's New Pussycat by Tom Jones. What film would that be from? What's New Pussycat? Um, if you don't know it, you don't know it. No, on the Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, I don't know. <laughs> no, the film was called... Octopussy? No, it's called What's New Pussycat, the film. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, that's a trick question. <laughs> yes, the two of them had the same name. I've never never even heard of it. And I think they wrote quite a few more. I don't... I don't I think Burt Bacharach did win more Oscars, possibly, but not as a writing duo with Hal David. So there you go. Singer was B.J. Thomas, then. Yeah. And he recorded the song seven times. Recorded it seven times because the first six Burt Bacharach wasn't happy with. And the seventh <laughs> time, which is the version used in the film, he had laryngitis. Wow. So which is why maybe it has a deeper, richer <clears throat> sound. I don't know. That's, why, that's maybe why they went for that version. I don't know if you know this. As in seven goes in a row. Like, uh, like his voice was going... Like well, going. I think... I think <laughs> yeah, just towards I, the end. Actually, I don't know. It just said it recorded it seven times. I think it was probably not on the same occasion. Right, okay. I yeah. think it was maybe they tried it once, you know, synced it together with the music, didn't like it, tried it again, like that kind yeah. of thing. Um, as well, BJ Thomas, so uh, we'll get into it now in terms of the song related to the film. Robert Redford famously did not like the scene. Oh, really? Well, he did not like the song in the scene together. And as well, BJ Thomas, his agents regretted him doing the song and thought it would ruin his career. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Well, like, I, I mean, I don't I don't know this. Who's the director of the film? Is it anyone famous? Uh, I don't know, Ben. I just don't know if he's got, like, if he had sort of pulling power, you know, because I think in the 60s there was a lot more sort of director power as, like, earlier, whereas it was just very big studios making films. I don't know if people often had regrets when it wasn't these sort of big bankable like oh I know th- I know this is going to work out. I, do, I know the Fox board weren't happy. Well, they they were worried about it. 
I think the song, weirdly, it doesn't seem very, like, subversive or new, you know, avant-garde now. But I think at the time, yes, it, people, yes. it maybe was more so. And I think BJ oh, yeah, definitely. said that in an interview. And it didn't get a lot of radio play. So I think it was kind of a risky decision. And obviously, as well, in terms of the film, it's very anachronistic to the actual genre. Like it yes, doesn't suit yes. a Western. So it's a very pointed choice to put this kind of song in there. Which I think, you know, like, if we, if we go into the, the scene now... Uh, I mean, what did you guys make of the scene? D, you've watched the scene on its own, Ben. You've seen the full film, in, so you've seen the scene in context of the film. Yes. Yeah, so I've not seen it in context of the film, and if I was shown this clip on its own and was told it was from a film like Butch Cassidy and Sunderland's Kid, I wouldn't believe you. It, it doesn't <laughs> yeah, seem no. to fit what in my head that film is. Yeah, it's very strange. We should probably actually describe what the scene is for people who haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. So um, so Butch Cassidy is played by Paul Newman, and um, he is riding around on a bicycle with um, the character Etta, who's played by Catherine Ross, who's actually the Sundance kid's girlfriend, which, again, adds to the strangeness of the scene. Yeah, I was rereading that earlier, and I was just like, wait, have they got that wrong? And I always forget it's the other way. Well, you'd expect it to be the other way. Yeah, and I think think it's this, this scene, it's... It's intentionally subversive, I think. They've sort of yeah. even put it there to be like, this film isn't like a normal film in the genre. We're going to be defined, we're going to make choices that aren't normally associated with this kind of film. And I think that this scene generally, like the fact that he's on a bike, not a horse, for instance, obviously yeah. is quite significant. Yep. Yep. It's the two characters who aren't romantically involved having sort of like a romantic comedic scene together. The song itself is about staying calm staying happy when it's raining which in itself is sort of like something that you wouldn't necessarily normally do you wouldn't be and as well the song is about rain and it's it's sunny it's in the middle of like south of america it looks very dry yeah very very, very dry. dry it's just it's the scene's placement in the film itself ben which you could probably attest to having watched it recently is weird in itself like it just sort of comes out of nowhere very it doesn't it doesn't fit and especially even within that there's like another level within the song which you're probably gonna say it has a, a breakdown yes Yes, the sort of vaudevillian uh, circus thing. Yeah. Yeah, which isn't in the original song, but they sort of added in there. No. Which, again, just sort of, like, really stands out, and it just makes the the scene more memorable, really, doesn't it? And possibly why yes. people have remembered it so vividly. For Paul Newman's abilities to ride a bicycle in various ways. Now, I only watched that scene once, and I was pretty certain that was not the same actor doing like the stunts on the bike. Some some bits are close up, though. You can see. I don't know if there was a stunt double in any of the I've, other I've scenes. actually done the research on this after oh, okay. after speaking about it. Oh, go, go, go. So he did all the stunts, bar the one where he goes backwards through the fence. Uh, okay, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So sense. the one where he goes backwards, he didn't do, but every other one he did. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I think okay. Robert Redford, actually, in the film, just as a side point, did most of his own stunts as well. I don't, I don't think Paul Newman did all of his stunts, like the things on the train and stuff, but in terms of the bike scene, yeah, did do all of it. I know Robert Redford, like Paul Newman, was already a household name by then. Like he'd done, he'd, I think Cool Hand did Luke cool was, Hand what, Luke? two, three? Yeah. yeah, he's like two, I think 67, Cool Hand Luke. So he was like, you know, I think he's already a major a hustler as well at the start of his career. That was a big film. So I think he Paul Newman was already a draw, and I'm pretty sure Robert Redford, that was like his big break. So I imagine there's a lot less like, oh, we can't let our major star do these things. So I imagine like 10 years later, probably maybe Robert Redford wouldn't have been able to do those stunts. Yeah. If we, if we look at the scene, like why, why do you think they decided to have the scene in the film? And why do you think it feels so weird, both of you? <laughs> I, didn't do, I know you've not seen it in the context of the film, but why, why do you think it seems weird? Like you said before, like it doesn't feel like this would be a scene that would be in that film. But do you think that's just because it's not of that genre? Or... Yeah. Everything I knew about this film before we started... Like, since before someone wrote down, we're doing Butch Cassidy and pinned it on the wall. 
in my head, it was essentially Butch Cassidy is like a more Western version of Bonnie and Clyde. So I had it down as a super serious, nobody has any time for jokes type thing. And then this song yeah. and this scene seems to be from almost like a rom-com. And it's a completely yeah, yeah, different yeah. feel to what I imagine the rest of the film is. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say the rest of the film isn't serious necessarily, and it is quite jokey, isn't it? Like, there's that part where yes. he he's in he's having a fight with the guy who's taken over his gang, and, like kicks him yeah, in the yeah, crotch yeah. rather than yeah. like shooting him. It's 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 kind of it has a lot of that in there, but I think this scene like ramps up to another level. Maybe. I think as well, just as a as a narrative piece, it is ensuring because they are, you know, in reality they were villains. I think it's just ensure, it's ensuring that they are seen to be likable. You know, it's like a it's a reliable sort of yes, he's he can be a joke. He's a joker. He's a laugh. He's got a nice side. I think it just cements them as like the hero of the piece. Yeah, and I think as well on that, it's it really cements his character, doesn't it? Because he's like yeah. the one who's a bit of like a almost like a, a ladies' man. He's the one who's who's like the cheeky one, whereas like Rob Redford yes. is like more of a serious gunslinger, if, if I remember rightly. So, yeah, maybe it's just like it's more character development for him. But it is just, I think it is odd that it's him and Catherine Ross's character rather than Sundance. But although I mean, it makes more sense as his character, but it's just a strange, strange scene, isn't it, to have those two together? Yes. Yeah. Very just weird scene. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think it's a testament as well to Paul Newman, who he just has that charisma that it doesn't seem weird. Or like, especially you know, with the vaudeville music on, you could not imagine John Wayne doing that. You can imagine John Wayne doing a lot of the other things, but imagine John Wayne riding a bicycle to like circus music. I think the <laughs> what a vision. Humorous yeah. he ever was was probably like in The Quiet Man and yeah. things like this. But yeah, Paul Newman is just he, he just exudes charisma. Yes, yeah, and I think this scene's almost like designed to help to bring it out even more, isn't it? But as well, like I guess there could be something in the scene where because it's him and her who are not in a conventional relationship maybe it's linked to this whole like summer of love a couple of years before a lot more freedom sexually sexual liberation it's a bit more of a like a wink to camera like oh you know yeah. maybe things that don't have to be as defined as as or as they were before so ben you mentioned earlier that perhaps the film when it was a very originally released so the first few months and things it did wasn't that successful but i think we can agree that kind of especially the scene itself has sort of resonated and along with the song a lot further than that and i think the song did actually win yeah um, the best yeah. uh, song so why, why do we think it the film the song the scene or a combination of two or three of those things have sort of resonated, and as well, like, why do we think it's lent themselves to parody so often? I know um, there's a scene in Spider-Man Two specifically, and there's a scene in The Simpsons, for instance, that directly references this. So, yeah, what do you guys think? Well, I mean, the scene itself is sort of out of the context of the rest of the film. That maybe that has it made the audience go, "Wow, this will stick in my brain," so which lends itself to parody because everyone needs to know what everyone needs to know what you are spoofing for a parody to land. So you go for something that is going to stick in everybody's mind. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and as well, the song, along with it, the two things go hand in hand. Don't you? you remember? You think of the song, you remember the scene. You remember? You think of the scene, someone riding a bike. You think you almost think of the song. Like yeah. in The Simpsons, the only reference is the fact I think that they're riding a bike. I don't remember there being any other hint to the fact that it's from that scene. They're no. riding a bike and they're singing the song, which is just you know, that's that's the only connection, and yet we know what it's about. Or if you if you haven't seen the film and then you watch it, you seem like that's where all those references. Are. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, that that's exactly the case for me. I didn't realize it was a reference. I thought it was like a nice moment on The Simpsons, much like <laughs> Why Do Birds Suddenly Appear. I thought it was just something like that, where it was just a nice moment the writers had created. 
no, I was wrong. I've been living a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's not, I think on the poster of the time as well, it's there's a, a still image of them on the bike. So it was obviously... Oh, is there? Yeah. So uh, there's a poster. I mean, I imagine there might have been quite a few posters from the time, but the original theatrical release poster has the picture of them on the bike, like a sort of a sketch black and white drawing. So which is which is really interesting, isn't alongside it? the also iconic like final scene, like final still, which kind of yeah. you know as the credits roll. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's just like a really pointed effort on their part or the marketing team that were doing a promotion for the film that they're sort of really trying to like this is yes. a western, yes. but it's a different type of western where <laughs> where the you know the cowboys ride bicycles instead of horses. What about the scene in Spider Man? Do we remember the scene Spider Man two? I don't. It's when his powers have gone or oh, he's given up on his powers or something, yeah. isn't it? The part I really remember is he like he sort of like watches like a police car drive past and then takes a massive bite out of a hot dog. Yeah, yeah, it's like a shitty grin on his face. Yeah, it's a really really cheesy sort of montage in the middle, similar to the one in Spider Man Three where he does the dance. Oh, but God. it's kind of like I guess it's like it's the prelude to that one. <laughs> well, there was a parody in my head. Well, I didn't know it was a parody at the time that I was convinced was in Naked Gun. And I spent ages looking for it. There's gonna be a few weird like Google searches of when someone looks at my laptop, and I've got like raindrops keep falling on my head, naked, and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, eventually, I figured it out. It was Leslie Nielsen, and it was a parody, uh, but it was in the film Spy Hard from oh, 1996. Great film. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it was not a good film, film. <laughs> not at all. Classic, but I was, in my head, I was just like, I have seen Leslie Nielsen in old timey tweed with a girl. It's like she's from like in a Victorian dress doing stunts on a bike and then falling off a cliff <laughs> to this song. Yeah. And it existed and it made me feel better about myself. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's always nice. It? it was weird. Like I was, um, I was just looking, some of the reviews at the time were quite heavily critical of this, of that scene as well. So I yeah. wonder if it is, it has been a sort of in looking back, looking at the films of the, of the decade, the changes of like censorship and being more like mainstream violence in a way things changing and like the sort of the new generation coming through and being more, a lot more sort of the first film goer generation and you know being a lot more open to new things and maybe critics of the time being a lot more used to the classic western and expecting yeah. something and it not being that yeah i think that's definitely it and i think i think it's always easier to look back in hindsight at, at the film in context yes it's as suppose it's less it's less easy for them to notice the sort of like the avant-garde way that the film sort of separates itself from the genre at the time, maybe it's always by like, oh, well, they've done that wrong, rather than they've done something new and fresh. Which I think is what the film is all about, really, isn't it? It's it's all about being defiant, being subversive, being something different, which just is, is kind of what, if you look back at the 60s with rose-tinted glasses and ignore like what we mentioned earlier about Vietnam War and stuff like that, that's kind of how people see that sort of late 60s period, don't they? With, yes. like, Woodstock and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, maybe that's, that's what they're trying to, to get at. It's that sort of, do we look back on what we know and what we're used to, as in the Western, as, you know, old, or do we look for something new? Do we change direction? Do we try a hand at something different? And I guess that's what the characters are, you know, mulling over for most of it. They, I guess, end up going down the, well, we only have one way to go. But I think you're right, what is going on at the time matches quite well to what's actually going on in the narrative. So it's been established on this podcast I haven't seen this film. Do you think this film still has cultural... Well, not even just the film, but the scene have cultural significance in 2020, in the present day? I would go on a limb and say no. The silence, I'm going to take... <laughs> I, was, as, I was thought Alex no. was going to answer, but... Cogitating. 
I think that the, I mean I I only saw it for the first time a few years ago, and I thought at first when I watched it I wasn't really sure what it was supposed to be. I think it was difficult to sort of understand why it was so different from the genre. But I think it's because you think it's sixties, it's a western, like you did, dude. Like you'd think this has everything visually what I expected. Yeah. But in terms of the script, in terms of like the characters, it's very different. So it instantly sort of like tickles the back of your brain in a way like it's like oh this doesn't quite feel right but then i think when you when you review it at the end and you you review it in the context of it was the late 60s and what everything that was going on i think it does it makes the film make a lot more sense and i think it does resonate i think i think i think it's always interesting when you watch a film when it it's almost like a collage it's kind of like a surrealist collage this film there's so much like being thrown at it from different types of things um and different you know, genres, different ideas, that it's kind of, it's always interesting to watch it. And I think if you watched it a second time, third time, it'll probably, you'll find something new every time. Almost. So yeah, I think so. Oh, and what about you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, not much more to add. I think, I think I enjoy it as a, a fan of the time as well. Just those two uh, icons of that era, basically. Paul Newman and Robert Redford are just, the bromance is infectious. You know, those two bounce off each other like, you know they are as close as the as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were, and I think it's just very believable. I think some parts of the dialogue's a bit naff, but otherwise, yeah, I I think just it, I find it an enjoyable film, and probably a lot more enjoyable than a lot of westerns. And I think that's probably just because I'm a bigger fan of the stuff that came out of that decade than some of the earlier westerns that were more of type. And yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's definitely stood the test of time. I think as well, like, we spoke about the subversive nature of the film and things, but I think ultimately it's a film about friendship, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and, like, films about friendship, which it sounds cheesy and corny, but that's kind of what it's about. I think films like that always resonate and always will do because that's, you know, that's one of the, it's, it's a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the iconic, like, if you think of, like, bromance films, you know, that is probably one of the most, well, I'd say, I, to me, it'd probably come up with as the one of the most iconic Yeah. nothing else jumps to my head yeah and the overall message as well like that that's you know reflected in the song like things are gonna you know try and get you down things are gonna try and get in your way but if you've got friends if you've got love (laughs) you can always overcome those things and yeah i think it's a nice message for the the overall message of the film and it's it's just a fun film it is a very fun film yeah yeah you should watch it dietrich yeah um slowly being like convinced that i need to give this film a go after watching that scene on its own, I just I still wasn't really convinced. If anything, I was more unlikely to watch it. But now, yeah, you've really sold it on me. So I guess that brings us to the ultimate question. Da da da. We need a jingle for this bit. <laughs> yeah. beep, 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 beep. We can't use that that for everything, Ben. <laughs> we could use the uh, the the music from the end of the song. I think we should give it out to the listener. <laughs> you need to create something for us and we will maybe credit you with it. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Do you know what it should be? It should be the music from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, the ultimate question. Movie or song? <laughs> In the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Alex, what, you go first. Ooh, it's a, it's a difficult one, this. Yes. Um... I think actually I might go song. Song. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like the song. Although I like the film a lot, and I think okay. it is fun, and it. 
it rep- represents a lot of what was good about cinema at the time that they were trying to do different things with with genre films and trying to you know experiment. I think the song embodies everything that the film wants to represent, and I, and I, I I would gladly listen to the song. I don't know necessarily whether I would always gladly watch the film. <laughs> so that for that reason, I'll say the song. Okay, one nil song. What about you, Ben? Yeah, oh, you know, I was before Alex started speaking, I was going to say film, but just thinking then, like, other than if I wasn't just sat here intending to talk about the film because that's what we're doing, it's not. It doesn't pop up into my mind a lot. Whereas I feel like it's a kind of it's you hear it a lot on TV. It's kind of a tune that you just sometimes start humming. I feel, and so I probably say it plays a larger part in day to day life. The song over the movie and as well the song always reminds you of the film doesn't it yeah always so yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think for yeah. that reason almost the song is yeah does the job it does the job that, the, that what rewatching the film would do i suppose depending on how many times i'll probably come yeah go on i'll go song there you go but back a wreck okay so that's song, song two nil obviously i haven't seen the film so yeah i've got song, song. as well <laughs> yeah so yeah three nil song i think we're all in agreement clean sweep the the song to me is better than the film and it always will be. <laughs> Probably not going to watch it. Great. Put one on well. the board for Bert Bacharach. Yeah. And Hal David, of course. We can't forget his contribution. We will. <laughs> well, most people seem to. Ooh. Okay, so that brings us nicely to the end of today's show. After a resounding victory for the song over the movie. Thank you for listening today on that song from that movie. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are TSFTMPod which I'm getting more and more natural at saying. <laughs> so my name is Dietrich, and I've been joined today by Alex. Nothing's worrying me. <laughs> very good, very nice. Thanks. And also, it's goodbye from Ben. Tripod Newman salad dressing. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Paul Newman salad dressing? <laughs> yeah, rub it. It's great. <laughs> what <laughs> are you talking about? Paul Newman's at Newman's own. Do we need to launch a new podcast? What's it called? Is it that's called... from that movie. <laughs> have you have you never had this in your? We, I grew up with this salad dressing in my cupboard. Wait, and it's called Paul Newman's own. And it's the Paul Newman. Yes, Paul Newman's own salad dressing. It's got a picture of his face on it. Yeah, but did he make it? Yes, or, or, yes, he it, made it. He, he made it. Was it like George Foreman grills? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the George Foreman. Yeah, well, uh, listeners, look up Newman. Why would you bring this up in the outro? Yeah, I feel like Ben. <laughs> Goodbye, listeners. Yeah, they should. <laughs> they should uh, yeah we'll see you down the road bye 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 listeners You've never heard of Newman's own salad dressing? <laughs> that was a good ending.